Hello, welcome to the For the Love of Film podcast. Uh, I'm the host, Scott David Chase. Um, it's been a couple months since my last uh, episode came up, and I apologize for that. It's not for lack of interest. Uh, rest assured, I'm still very interested in doing this podcast. Just this summer's been incredibly busy. I've been on the road. Um, had, hadn't seen too, too many movies. Um, I saw a few. Um, I mean, having said that, I'm going to talk about eight films that I saw in the theater in the last couple months. But, uh, yeah, um, there is a new... Uh, I just signed up for the new Regal card that uh, allows me to see unlimited movies uh, as many as I want each month for a fixed price. So, and I mostly go to the movies at a Regal cinema anyway, so it made sense. So it's kind of like, uh, the way movie pass worked. It's, it's a little more than twice the price of movie pass, but honestly it's, it's worth it if it works. So I think, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I saw a ton of movies in 2017 and 2018 so hopefully get back to that. Um, some of the, a couple of the films that I saw that I'm going to talk about on this episode, I saw because I had had that, uh, this new Regal pass. I just signed up for it at the beginning of the month, but I've already, you know, it's already paid for itself this month. So yeah, um, that, and that is in no way any sort of paid endorsement from Regal. Um, but yeah, so, um, I'm going to talk about the Joker movie, it chapter two, Gemini Man, Ad Astra, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, Mary Magdalene, which I didn't see in the theater, I saw on home video, um, and uh, Apocalypse Now, The Final Cut, and then Ghostbusters. Uh, the last couple are obviously older films. Um, I did get to see Ghostbusters uh, in the theater for the first time. I was too young to see it in the theater in its original run in 1984. And then Apocalypse Now, it's the final cut. So, yeah, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, these are not in the order that I saw them in in the last two months. But like I said, I'm covering two months, so it doesn't really matter. So, first and foremost, first and foremost I will talk about the Joker. Joker movie. Um, I guess it's just called Joker, not The Joker. So, if you're not familiar, um, you probably haven't been checking social media, so I doubt you're listening to this anyways. But if you're not familiar... It is Todd Phillips' take on the Batman uh, supervillain, Batman's nemesis, the Joker, but it's done with gritty realism. Joaquin Phoenix plays uh, the Joker. Um, he actually, the, his character uh, is given the name uh, Arthur Fleck, which, as far as I know, that's the first time the character has been given... A name, uh, I'm sure there's comic book fans who can correct me. It may have been used in the Red Hood story or possibly even in Alan Moore's The Killing Joke graphic novel, which is a, you know often cited as a very uh, seminal work of comic book art. Um, so a lot has been made of this film, a lot of hype, you know, it is, it, it is done in a realistic style, it's not done as a superhero film, it, having said that, you know, Batman does not appear in this film at all, uh, Bruce Wayne, who, you know, becomes Batman eventually, is, um, shown as a, I think he's 10 years old in this film, uh, uh, he's in a couple scenes, and we do see the, the, um, the murder of his parents, which, 
you know, is the impetus for him eventually becoming Batman. And that's not a spoiler. Um, it's a very small part of this film. It's more just like a nod to things to come. And uh, unlike Tim Burton's uh, 1989 Batman film, uh, this 30 years later, um, the Joker is not the one who guns down his parents, nor is is that the case in almost all comic adaptations. You know, the Joker has had many origin stories, but no definitive one, and I don't know if this will be considered that. This is not part of DC's regular chronology of films. I mean, DC films are a mess, and this is supposed to start what is known as DC Black, which are more, like, themed, adult-themed films. Um, I don't know. This is a... Uh, I wanted to see this. I knew what it was going into it. I, I wasn't necessarily excited about it, but, um, I'm a fan of Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's an excellent actor. He pretty much always gives great performances and he did give a great performance in this very committed and, you know, very different take on the character. Um, you know, Jack Nicholson put his take on it, which Jack Nicholson's version of the Joker is basically just Jack Nicholson amped up, uh, a little bit more than he is in regular life. It wasn't very similar to the Joker. And then, you know, Heath Ledger's performance in the dark Knight kind of has informed, uh, how the Joker has been personified going forward. I don't know if this will change it. It's a very different take than Heath Ledger's take on it. Um, but you know, the film deals with mental illness and, uh, what abuse and, uh, on a child and then neglect, uh, from, our government's systems that are supposed to support people who have been victimized, uh, can have on someone, um, you know, basically Arthur Fleck is someone who was severely traumatized, uh, early on. And then has had a difficult time as an adult and eventually, um, due to circumstances that are depicted in the movie becomes the Joker. Um, the violence in it is very realistic and, you know, it's upsetting and it's just, it's a, it's a very bleak film. And at the end of the day, when it was, when it was all done, I was upset that I had seen it. You know, I, I wanted to see it, you know, I wasn't tricked into seeing it. It was, it was basically what I expected it to be, but at the same time, it was just devoid of hope, just an incredibly bleak, dark film. And there was no joy in it. And, you know, I'm not sure what the filmmakers were, what, why they felt compelled to tell this story in this fashion and, you know, why they made this film, truthfully. Um, I know plenty of people who have seen it and loved it, um, think it's great. It, it was a very well-made film. It's shot beautifully, the sound design's amazing, the acting is top-notch. It's a well-made film, I just didn't enjoy it and... It's impossible to detach the film from all the violence that has happened in this country, you know, in the, the nine years, eight years, whatever it was, since the shooting on the opening night of the Dark Right Dark Knight Rises in Colorado. And, you know, Warner Brothers released this, also released that. It seems interesting to me that they didn't you know, that that they were releasing this uh after all that, after the protests from the family members of the uh, of the victims of that shooting and the survivors, but 
again, I know the argument is made, you know, if we don't make art, if we, if we don't make art because of the possible repercussions, then those people have won, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, I'm like, why was this made? It, it, it felt, it feels insensitive, but also hollow. It feels like it's trying to make a point, but that never really had a clear point, uh, coming across. And in the end, it was just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it makes sense, I guess, that this is the, the Joker movie being made in 2019, given the climate of how America is now. But yeah, I just, it wasn't for me. Um, you know, I would give the Joker movie, uh, a six out of 10 just on craft. But, you know, personally, I have no desire to watch it ever again. And yeah, that's how I feel about it. Uh, the same weekend I saw another killer clown movie. I saw it chapter two, uh, which, which I did enjoy. I really, really enjoyed the first it film that came out in 2017. Um, it's funny. I just got back from a road trip out West. Uh, I was gone for 10 days and I saw, uh, I, I, I was in, uh, Oregon, Washington, California, and Arizona. And, um, I saw this when I got back from it. I, I had seen it, the first part uh, in Seattle, Washington, two years ago. So, you know, it's kind of, I've got this weird connection with the it movies and, and Washington, but, um, you know, so this is the, this is the second part of the movie. This is 27 years after the first film and all the kids have grown up. And, um, you know, there is plenty of flashbacks with the kids. It's, it's a nearly three hour film. And, um, you know, if you had taken all the scenes with the kids out of this movie, it would probably be a two hour film. Uh, not to say that I don't enjoy the scenes with the kids. They're great. A lot of those scenes that were necessary could have been in chapter one. And then some of them are just not necessary, but, um, it's a, it's, it's a good film and a solid finish to it. Um, doesn't quite, it's, it's not as scary as the first it film and it is longer and not necessarily, it's not, it doesn't necessarily pay off the extra length. You know, I've talked about this many times on this podcast, but oftentimes when a film is based on a book, people cite, oh, the book is better, or they left X, Y, and Z out of it, and they complain about it. And this is an example of a film that leaves so much from the book in. There, there are a few scenes that were still left out, most notably the um, the orgy scene. It's not exactly an orgy scene, but uh, I, I'm not going to get into it. They were wise not to put it in either of the film versions of this, but um for those of you who have read the book, know what I'm talking about, and it makes sense. It probably will never be in a film version of this, of this material. But most of the other stuff is left in the book, and you know I've said many times, books and movies are different mediums, and you know, leaving everything in doesn't necessarily make for a great film. It just makes for all the stuff, and you know, the fan service. So, um, I think including so much of the source material was sort of a disservice to this as a film, but it's a minor complaint. It, it was a really well-made film. Um, you know, the, the adult cast was pretty well, well cast as well. Uh, 
particular praise for Bill Hader's performance in this. Um, Jessica Chastain was also really good. I mean, she's good in pretty much everything she's in. And, you know, James McAvoy giving another great performance. I mean, I've seen him in three films this year. He was in Glass at the beginning of the year, and then he played Charles Xavier in Dark Phoenix, um, which, you know, I didn't like either of those films to, to varying degrees. Uh, I mean, I hated Glass, and Dark Phoenix was kind of eh. But James McAvoy gave committed, you know, really great performances in those, and he does that in this as well. And, yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Glad I saw it. Uh, glad to have the conclusion, but uh, not... I didn't love it the way I loved the first one. So I'd give It Chapter 2 a uh, 7 out of 10. So the next film that I saw was Gemini Man. Um, I just saw this two days ago. Uh, or I saw most of it. And I'll say it because I, I I walked out of the movie at the 95 minute mark. It's, it's, it's about 115 minutes long. But it just got to the point where... Uh, it was at just this, I, it was in the third act. I knew how, or I had a really good idea how the film was going to end. And I was just, I was miserable watching this movie. Um, you know, Ang Lee directed it, which I don't know, this coupled with his Hulk movie and a few other misfires, uh, or making me really question, you know, referring to him as a great director because he has directed some great films but he's done some real clunkers this the direction was really sloppy in this but the the biggest problem is just it's an awful awful script uh both the story is unbelievable but it's not done in a in a fun way it's not done in a self-aware way it thinks it's a great action movie or at least it thinks it's the born identity and it's not it's just a really clumsy movie with just some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard. And, you know, um, particularly Clive Owen, who just plays like a, a mustache twirling villain. And he's an excellent actor. I, I can't imagine he wasn't embarrassed to say some of these lines, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes people just gotta, gotta cash a paycheck. You gotta, you got bills to pay like everyone else. Uh, Will Smith gave a fine performance, but, um, you know, I've had some people who have asked me about it and heard my thoughts on it. And they're like, he's a great actor. And I, I don't think Will Smith is a great actor. I think Will Smith is a likable actor. He's done some great work in a few films and he's serviceable in most films. Um, I've, you know, I can't think of a bad performance I've seen him give, but it's, you know, most of it is he's coasting on the charm of being Will Smith. And, um, you know, he hasn't made an excellent film in a long, long time. He does a lot of clunkers. And, uh, yeah, this was certainly, this is high up on the, the pile of, uh, trash that he's made. So, uh, um, yeah, I just, I don't think Gemini Man is the film I hated the most. Uh, that's probably still glass that I saw this year. Because I went into Gemini Man expecting it to not be good, and it wasn't. But even, you know, the, the, the charming Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I like, couldn't save this. Um, you know, Benedict Wong, who's who's a great actor as well, completely wasted in this part, uh, just couldn't save it. Um, you know, uh, I, I would give Gemini Man a 3 out of 10. Uh, that's, uh, that was my feelings on that movie. Um, 
the next movie I saw was Ad Astra, which is, uh, means to the stars. Uh, it's a sci-fi film. It's, it's, it's more of a drama slash slow burning character study starring, uh, Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. And then few other people kind of pop in and now Donald Sutherland has a few scenes. Liv Tyler has a few scenes. Ruth Nega has, I really think it's just two, two scenes. Um, I like seeing science fiction films. I love the production design and the sound design and this, um, the, the music, uh, Max Richter, um, he sampled a lot of old audio recordings from NASA and put them through synthesizers and looped them and created a lot of music that way, which gave it a really cool effect. But, um, you know, the script is, was the weakest part of this film. The, the story is okay, but a bit weak. And, um, you know, the actors did the best they could with it. I mean, Brad Pitt is giving almost a, a, a silent performance. He, he's on screen for nearly every scene in this film. And, um, there's a lot of scenes where he doesn't say anything and it's a very slow burning performance. It leads to, uh, an emotional reaction towards the end. Uh, he's reunited with his father played by Tommy Lee Jones. And it's, you know, it's a journey about facing, uh, a, a decorated, you know, much lauded person and dealing with the actual person, not, not the public's persona of that, which the journey in a lot of ways reminded me of Willard's journey towards, uh, Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, uh, which coincidentally or not so coincidentally, I started watching, um, before I saw that and, and, uh, uh, finished it afterwards. Uh, so Ad Astra, I liked it, didn't love it, um, left a lot to be desired, but, um, looked great. I'd give Ad Astra a six out of 10. Uh, definitely worth, if you're a sci-fi fan or a Brad Pitt fan, definitely worth a watch. Um, not, not one of the best films of the year, but, um, this is a, you know, it was about on par with what I was expecting. Uh, the next one that I saw was the peanut butter Falcon. Uh, it's a comedy drama written and directed by Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz. And, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a weird kind of road adventure movie. Again, a little bit unbelievable, but that's okay. Um, uh, starring Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson, uh, John Hawk is in a few scenes. So is Bruce Dern and, uh, John Bernthal's in some flashbacks. And then Thomas Hayden Church is in a few as well. But the real star of the movie is, uh, an actor named Zach Gott Sagan, I believe. So the, so, so Zach is an actor with Down syndrome and the film was basically written based on, uh, writer directors, Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz's interaction uh, with Zach meeting him a few years ago and asking him, you know, what his goals in life were. And he said he wanted to star in a movie and that, uh, sort of inspired them to, to write this film. And, um, you know, it, without being a saccharine film, it's a genuinely moving fun story about an unlikely friendship between his character and Shia LaBeouf's character, and then also kind of dealing with uh, Dakota Johnson's character, who is a caretaker who does care for Zach, but 
at the end of the day, uh, she has to learn to kind of let a little bit of control go and let him live his life. And, uh, yeah, it was really just kind of a, a great story about the human spirit and just the power of friendship and how it can cut cross through social barriers and, you know, a lot of different stuff like that. It was, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's something that I, it, it was getting decent reviews and I wanted to see it anyways. And, you know, there's a really beautiful performance from Shia LaBeouf in here. Um, and I've had opinions about Dakota Johnson in the past where I didn't think she was great, but you know, this coupled with, uh, her performances, Suspiria last year, um, really kind of turning me around. I'm really kind of enjoying seeing her on screen and I hope to see her do some more interesting stuff. Um, I really enjoyed Peter Potter Falcon. It may even end up being in my top 10 this year. Um, I'd give it a, I'd give it a strong seven. Um, like I said, it is, it is a little bit predictable in the script, but, um, the performances are really worth it. Um, I just in general really liked this film and do recommend it to people. Um, the next movie I saw, I didn't hear about it coming out in the theaters. I didn't, uh, you know, I saw the preview for it on another film and, uh, that's the movie Mary Magdalene. Uh, it's, uh, directed by Garth Davis and it stars Rooney Mara as Mary Magdalene and another performance from Joaquin Phoenix playing, uh, Jesus Christ. And then, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Tahar Rahim. I hope I'm not butchering his name or their names too badly. Um, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor plays Peter and Tahar Rahim plays Judas. Um, it's, the story of, you know, the, the last 30 days of the life of Jesus Christ, uh, and his time with the disciples, but also it, 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 the focus really is on Mary Magdalene. And she's a character that, um, has been off misportrayed in, you know, certainly the Catholic church's handling of her. And, um, you know, it was an interesting look at faith. It was an interesting look at, uh, you know, a woman's place in society, both, um, back, you know, 2000 years ago and also today. Um, it's not so much about the story. You know, if you, if you've read the Bible or even heard the story of Jesus Christ, you probably know what happens, but, um, it's a, you know, a really beautiful understated performance by Rooney Mara. Again, she's one of my favorite actresses. So I just, hearing about this film, seeing that she was in it, I was interested. And again, Joaquin Phoenix gives another capable performance, a very tender performance as Jesus Christ, you know, miles away from his performance in the Joker, um, just, you know, shows, shows his range as an actor. And, uh, yeah, I, it looks beautiful. Most of it was shot in the Holy land. And, um, yeah, it just, it's one of those films, you know, I've, known this story since I was a small child. I was raised in the church, but to see a film shot this way, it really felt like what it may have looked like there. Um, the, while Rooney Mara and Joaquin Phoenix, obviously they're Caucasian. It was a multi-ethnic cast and, um, 
that was nice to see a little bit of diversity because usually uh, biblical films are very, very whitewashed. But um, yeah, I really like Mary Magdalene a lot, actually. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, and then the last two films I saw were both films I've seen many times before. Um, like I said, uh, Apocalypse Now. Th- this is the new what's being dubbed the final cut, which, you know, we'll see this is, it's the 40th anniversary of the film. And so, you know, whether or not Francis Ford Coppola actually felt like he needed to make another cut or if it was just, um, uh, cashing in, you know, the studio wanting to cash in on the anniversary of the film, the 40th anniversary, it, uh, about a dozen years ago, he released what is, was known as Apocalypse Now Redux and, I saw that in the theater, so I didn't necessarily feel the need to see this version of the film in theaters. It only played for a couple days, but it was um, it was marked down, or or, or the, I'm sorry, the DVD slash Blu-ray was very inexpensive, and it had all the versions of the film. I think it was like twenty five bucks. So I, I jumped. Um, I didn't have a version of this film uh, currently uh, on home video, anyways, so I got it and. So there's no new footage in it. It's actually a much edited down version of the Redux version. Um, it's having said that, it's three hours long, where the original Apocalypse Now is about two hours and ten minutes. But the Redux version is four, almost four hours. So it kind of splits the difference. It's a little bit more streamlined. It's still a very laborious film, but. Um, Again, I, I, I do think it's one of the greatest films of all time. And I don't know if I would say this is the definitive version. If you haven't seen the Redux version, uh, you know, this certainly... I would recommend this over the Redux version just because it's a little easier to get through. Um, the, only, the, the only major thing that was in the Redux version that isn't in this that I remember is... Um, the later encounter with the Playboy bunnies, uh, you know, the, there's the one, the USO show that they're in, uh, and that's still in this film. But uh, in the Redux version, they they um, encounter the women later, and you know, there's there's uh, I, I don't remember if it was Chef or if it's Willard that has a you know a romantic night with with one of the ladies, but that that whole subplot is completely cut out. Um, yeah, one of the fun facts that I learned about this film, having you know, having seen this film many times, a little thing I didn't know up until this fact is that um, Martin Sheen's brother Joe Estevez is the one who provided all the narration. It's not Martin Sheen's voice narrating the film, which is pretty present throughout the film. Uh, Martin Sheen had suffered his his near fatal heart attack on set during that time, and they needed to record the narration. And because his brother Joe has uh, a similar, like almost identical voice. They chose to use that. And, um, so that was, that was pretty interesting. His brother also was a body double for a lot of the shots. And yeah, so that, that was a little fun fact. I didn't know about that, but you know, uh, I, yeah, I would recommend the, the, the final cut. Um, it's been years since I've seen the original version of the film now. Uh, so, you know, some snowy snowed in winter day, I may, sit and watch another, you know, e- either the theatrical cut or the Redux version again, just to compare. But, uh, and I'm currently watching the Hearts of Darkness documentary that, uh, Eleanor Coppola directed while making 
while her husband Francis Ford Coppola was making Apocalypse Now. So I'll get back to you on that. It's one I, I surprisingly I've never seen. I've wanted to see it for a while, and it's from 1991. So yeah, I will uh, I will report back about that. But so the Apocalypse Now final cut version, I would give. Uh, I would I would give that film a nine out of ten, and then last but not least, uh, I saw Ghostbusters, the 1984 classic. You know, it's the 35th anniversary of this film. Uh, yeah, I, I never saw Ghostbusters in the theater because I was too young, and it was definitely deemed a little too scary for me when I was a kid. I was eight uh, when it came out, but I um, love this film. It's uh, it's probably my favorite comedy. Uh, definitely one of my 10 favorite films of all time. I quote this movie all the time. It's just, I like, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know what to tell you, but I love Ghostbusters. Um, Bill Murray's performance, uh, in specifically is flawless. This is, this, it's always a performance I think of when I think of Bill Murray as a comic genius, but you know, um, Dan Aykroyd is great. Harold Ramis is great. Uh, Ernie Hudson's great. And, you know, Rick Moranis steals every scene he's in. Sigourney Weaver's great. And this was the, the movie that kind of took her out of her, her more serious roles and showed that she could do other things as well. And, uh, yeah, I just, I love Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters gets a 10 out of 10 for me every time it, uh, you know, 35 years old, it's still funny. It was amazing to see it on the screen. I loved seeing New York City circa 1984 on the big screen, see how much it's changed, see what's still the same. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, some of the some of the special effects, some of the seams from the special effects showed on the big screen, and I couldn't care less. Uh, it was great. I loved seeing Ghostbusters on the big screen. And uh yeah, I'm wrapping this episode up because I'm going to go see another one of my favorite films of all time, uh, a classic film on the big screen in about an hour, um, which is uh, really Scott's Alien. Uh, it's 40th anniversary of that as well, so I'm excited to see that, but I will talk about that next time. Thank you so much for listening. I really plan on having a new episode up uh, much sooner than two months later, uh, like this episode came out after the last one but thank you thank you thank you for listening and i'll talk to you again soon